Alright, look at me. Tomorrow, you do not have permission to do this. When someone says, how was your weekend going? Well, it was alright. You better be jumping and shouting saying, let me tell you how good it was. And you have permission to be the most annoying person for a five mile radius to everyone around you while they're all sitting there sad that it's Monday, you can say, let me tell you about what a glorious day is waiting for me. Amen. In six weeks, we're going to take a break from Luke for the rest of the year. Some of you say, well, hallelujah, get out of here for a little while. And we're going to do a topical series on the names of God that will take us all the way through the rest of 2018, and then we'll come back to Luke. But for now, turn to Luke chapter 12. Can you believe it? We're into Luke 12. We're almost to the halfway point. Dennis Miller once said that parenting is the most important job on the planet, next to keeping Gary Boosie off the nation's highways. If y'all know Gary Boosie, you know the joke behind that. Officer Williams doesn't want him on the nation's highways. Amen. As any good physician would, Luke acknowledges that parenting indeed is the most important job on the planet. Maybe that's why he has this large section smack dab in the middle of his gospel known as the travelogue. Remember I told you to circle verse 51 of chapter 9, 951 to 1927 is the travelogue. It's a watershed in the gospel of Luke. It's the lengthiest section, 37% of his gospel. There's no counterpart to any of the, uh, this in any of the other gospels. It's mainly good heavenly parenting. And thus that's the title of this morning's message. It's Jesus' teaching in parables, much of which is only found here in Scripture. And our series is Follow Me, a journey through the Gospel of Luke. And so for you and I as disciples of Christ, this, as we would say in the South, is the meat and the taters. This is where it's at. It's an emphasis on teaching, especially here in Luke 12. So what constitutes good parenting? Wouldn't you agree living a life of integrity, having a proper fear of God over man, being accountable, stuff, money, isn't everything, don't worry, be happy, don't be careless in faith in Christ, surely top the list. And so Jesus here in Luke 12 gives teaching on those seven aspects of any child of God's walk with Christ. So if you're a child of God and you desire a closer walk with your Heavenly Father, and you need some good Heavenly parenting, then the next five weeks worth of messages are just for you. And so think about it. Inherent in any good parenting... Uh, is uh, Danielle and Jimmy Ray's little Jay. What are some things that they want to do? One of the things that they want to do is warn of the dangers of life. Amen? Dad, can I swim in the ocean today? Well, if it's a red flag and the waves are big and huge and the undercurrent will sweep you all the way to Cuba, probably wouldn't be a good idea, would it? Is Dad being a killjoy and telling you not to swim in the ocean? Mom, can I pet this snake? Well, not if it's got a triangular head and slanted eyes. That probably would not be a very good idea. You're not going to catch me playing with a snake. I don't care if it doesn't have a triangular head and slanted eyes. I'll be finding a hole or shotgun because I say the only good snake is a dead snake. Dad, can I play kickball with Joey? Well, not if it's in the middle of the highway. Amen? 
So Jesus, who does the work of the Father, like any good father, warns his disciples then, and us now, the dangers inherent in the Christian life. And just as a parent is not being a cosmic killjoy when they put boundaries around their kids and tell them of the dangers of life, neither is Jesus being a cosmic killjoy here when he warns us of the dangers of avoiding hypocrisy, fearing God, not man, and confessing Christ openly and publicly. So Luke chapter 12, we're going to read the first... 12 verses, so stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke writes, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And as Bodie Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Y'all want what you said in the dark and in private rooms shouted from the rooftops? Some of the stuff I've said, I don't. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him, or not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them has forgotten before God, while even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Word of God to the people of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. First off, that we can call you Father. And then, Father, that we can say that you are a good, good Father. There is not one of us in here who cannot say just in the last 24 hours alone, Father, that we have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good because we woke up this morning. And Father, You've already appointed a glorious day in which we will see our Savior face to face. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Father, if You want to interrupt this message and send Jesus right now, won't any of us be disappointed? But Father, we pray that if that's not your will, that Father, in the next time that we have together to open and study your word, Father, you would just pour your Holy Spirit out upon this place. Help me to decrease that you can increase through me. And Father, give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you would have us to take from your word today. For it's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. So a little context, context, context as always, right? So look at verse 53 through the first part of verse 1 in chapter 12. That gives our context. First, what? As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoking to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, first. So the context really is this, that Jesus is telling us three temptations to steer clear from. Number one is to avoid the temptation to avoid trouble. 
Look at what the scribes and the Pharisees do. The word press there means to be enraged with, to hold a grudge. Hard means grievously, vehemently. To provoke means to ply him with questions. <coughs> to lie in wait and catch means to set out a trap and to hunt and were used in Greek literature of hunting animals. Jesus is literally a hunted man at this point in his ministry. And here was the threat. Guess who was next? The disciples. You remember the wicked witch, the Wizard of Oz, and what did she say? I'm going to get you and your little dog too. And so the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, we're going to get you, and when we get done with you, we're coming for y'all. So the pressure is to avoid trouble. And so the temptation is this. Live hypocritically. Live fearfully. And forgive me, Amy, I don't think this is actually a word, but live disavowedly. Had to make it all kind of alliterate. Live hypocritically. Live fearfully. Live disavowedly to avoid trouble. So one, the temptations avoid trouble. The second temptation, and you young people, listen. All of us, but particularly you young people. As anyone under the age of 25, to gain popularity. So many thousands of the people are trampling. That word thousands in the Greek is the word we get, myriad. It means 10,000, but it was used, it's like the infinity symbol. It's an indefinitely large number of people. In other words, there were folks everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> and so the temptation is this. Live pleasingly to who? Jesus or the crowds? The crowds first and then Jesus next. That was the temptation. What they should do is live pleasingly for Jesus first and the crowd second, but the temptation was the crowds first, Jesus second. Here's the third temptation. The third temptation is this. You, not me. Let me explain. Who does Jesus tell this to? The crowd? The person in the pew beside Peter? Peter? Yes, yes, and yes! In other words, let me give you this. Mother's Day, Father's Day, every day, all day. Let me explain that. If you're a mama, here's the temptation. You come to church on Mother's Day, and you know what you want to hear? You want to hear Jimmy or Buffy give a good old toe-stomping, toe-stomping message, breaking some feet of who? Daddy. Now, y'all would just treat me a little better around here because I cook and clean for y'all and I pick up your stuff out of the floor and I'm sick and tired of that. So why don't you tell them how they should take care of me? Isn't that a temptation? And on Father's Day, what do the daddies want? The opposite. Y'all know how much I work for y'all and go and work 12 hours and somebody's laughing, Molly, because she's evidently heard this before. Every daddy has this speech. Y'all know how much I've done for you. <laughs> and you're going to treat me like that. And so here's the temptation for mama and daddy. They turn to the kid and they say, now weren't you listening to the pastor this morning? Well, won't you apply it to yourself? And the temptation for each of us here this morning is this, to think that what I'm going to say through God's Word, but really it's God speaking through me to, not the person in the pew beside you, to you. He began to say to His disciples first. 
He did not begin to say it to Amy Bowers first. He began to say it to Marty Bowers first. Got it? And so one pastor said, those who profess to follow Jesus could not sit back comfortably and listen while Jesus made demands on people outside their number. Disciples must see Jesus' teaching is addressed to them in the first instance, whatever applications it may have to outsiders. And so as Jimmy mentioned two weeks ago, when we get done with this, we might feel like we've been in a 12-round fight with a kangaroo, right? But that's a good thing because we want to be convicted. We didn't come here to just have a happy worship service, which was phenomenal, and I'm thankful for it. We came here to be convicted of how we can look more like Christ. So the first piece of good heavenly parenting that Jesus provides his disciples then, us now with, is to avoid hypocrisy. Avoid hypocrisy. This has been preached in three straight sermons. You think Jesus is concerned with hypocrisy? Why so much attention? Because it's a serious obstacle to our living as Christians. And so listen to what Jesus says here about it. Look at verse 12. Or verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now when you see leaven in Scripture, it speaks of evil or sin or influence. Both are applicable here. Is hypocrisy sin? Yes. Can sin influence? Yes. Is there any such thing as a little sin? No. Think back to Achan in the time of the Old Testament. And he steals some stuff, holds some stuff back. Why do you think God said, took him out? Because there can be no leaven in the camp. Why do you think the picture of Ananias and Sapphira is in the record of the early church because God wanted to point out there can't be a little bit of sin in the camp. Because what's going to happen? Sin does what? It spreads like gangrene. You know how fast... If you go to the doctor and he says, that toe looks like it's got gangrene in it. We're going to set you up to take that foot off next month. Is that what he's going to say? We're putting you in the hospital right now and we're getting that thing off when? Now. Why? Because it can spread to your whole body. And so that's the picture Jesus is pointing here because we don't understand leaven because we don't bake biscuits like then, right? And so what they would do is they would have a little pinch of the previous day's dough that had leaven in it and then they would put it in this day's dough. And did it take a, this much leaven to leaven the whole lump? A small little bit would leaven the whole thing and then make the whole thing rise, correct? And so that's what Jesus is saying. A small little bit will make the whole batch bad. And so the leaven in Matthew 16, 12 is the Pharisees teaching, but here it's the Pharisees hypocrisy. Jimmy talked about this, but the word literally means someone acting under a mask. Think of it as play acting. If you have on a mask and it, the mask is happy, but underneath it's sad, it's that, that idea, right? And so Jimmy pointed out that rightly so, the church and the people inside it get blasted by unbelievers for hypocrisy, don't we? More, though, I think probably the number one thing that keeps more people out of church is the hypocrisy of the people in the church. But think about it. Are there not hypocrites in every walk of life? I know doctors that smoke and are overweight. I know lawyers that break the law. I've heard of teachers that cheat on tests. And I've heard of politicians will say no more. <laughs> So saying, you know they're lying because their lips are moving. Amen? I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. Jesus isn't worried about the crowd. 
He is worried about that there's hypocrites over here and there's hypocrites over there. He's worried about you and I being a hypocrite. Why is he so worried about that? And give us three things. First, we're going to talk about what is hypocrisy and then why is it so dangerous and then how to overcome it. First, what is hypocrisy? An easy way to think about it is your life don't match your lips. Your life don't match your lips. Think about it. You tell others to do something or don't do something and yet you fail to practice what you preach. Or you're around people and you go, well, I better not cuss around them because they know that I'm a Christian and I you know, want to put on a show and I don't want to cuss around them, but now it's okay to cuss down at the shop because they're not Christians and, you know, it's okay. Isn't that a, what hypocrisy is? And the third is that we'll do good things for selfish motives. Marty and I talked about this yesterday. If I run around, I say, well, now, I've been 15 times out of the country on mission trips. Why am I saying that? To toot my own horn. Or if I even go out of selfish motives, I might as well stay home. Amen? Amen. And so let me give you a couple of ways, three ways, that we are hypocritical in the church. As far as what is it? Some more examples. Sex, appetite, and the tongue. Sex, appetite, and the tongue. (laughs) Patty, I said Bodie Bachman said, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Sex. Oh, that man over there, he's a homosexual. That is disgusting. He's going to hell. God says that's an abomination. And the person that says that is addicted to pornography. Can you please explain to me how one is different from the others in God's eyes? Get your purple sunglasses on and look at it. God says, "Hmm, that's the same. Appetite. Well, now you know, real good little Christians, they don't drink any alcohol. And we go down to the buffet Sunday after church and we're hoping we can beat the Methodists. We almost have a wreck in the parking lot trying to get the parking space before they get it. And we go in and we eat the all-you-can-eat buffet till we literally throw up. That's gluttony. It's no different of a sin of an appetite. The tongue. Well, at least I don't cuss like he does. I heard him let a cuss word fly the other day and in the church parking lot of all places. And you're having roast pastor for dinner. Gossiping and slandering. There's no difference, brothers and sisters. And so Jesus... Um, let me put it up. When I was thinking of this, Dave, you know I always think of a hymn or song. I guess it's that bad to Pentecostal in me. Y'all ever heard Stained Glass Masquerade? Mm-hmm. I thought of that. But would it set me free if I dared to let you see the truth behind the person you imagine me to be? Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles that hide our pain? But the invitation's open to every heart that's been broken. Maybe then we close the curtain on our Stained Glass Masquerade. Brothers and sisters, we don't come to church to have it all together. We might have stained glass in the windows, but we don't need it in our lives. We come here because it's a hospital for people that are sick and want to look more like Christ. So why is it so dangerous? Let me give us quickly three things. One, it detracts from the light. What did God call the Jews to be? A light to the nations. The only Torah that some people were going to read was that Jew. 
And so when they're hypocritical, you know what it gave? A wrong reading of the Torah. Nothing has changed. God has called you and I to be what? Light. The only Bible some people are going to read is who? You. Me. And so when I'm hypocritical, what does that do? It detracts from the light. Number two, it dishonors the Lord. God is a God of mercy. We looked at that this morning with Daniel's prayer, didn't we? And as a God of mercy, then what does He call His people to be? People of mercy. And so look at what Jimmy talked about. Uh, I guess it was uh, last week. Yeah, last week's sermon. Verse 46 of 11. You load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They weren't merciful people. It dishonored the God they claimed to follow. God still expects mercy today. Look at James 2. He says, now if a brother comes to you and he needs something, and you say, well, hope it works out for you. See you later. He says that kind of faith is what? Dead as a hammer. Because the God of mercy expects mercy of His people. And so when we're hypocritical, it dishonors the Lord we claim to follow. And number three, which is the one that Jesus is hammering home here, it demasks the lie. God has always called for the life to match the lips. Go all the way back and look at Cain and Abel. Amen? And the Pharisees, they thumped their chests and they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, No, you're of your father the devil. He took the mask off. And so, think about today. Has anything changed? We can say we're a Christian all we want, and we can say we love Jesus and we love God. David asked us earlier if we love God, we can say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But where is the proof? In the pudding. And the proof is right here. And look at what Jesus says. Nothing. What's the Greek word for nothing? Nothing. It's covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The most damning part of hypocrisy is that it takes the mask off and it will be full disclosure on Judgment Day. And then number three, how can we overcome hypocrisy? Three words, transparently, integrity, and humility. I have to live a life transparently before God. He knows everything. I can't uh, cover up anything, can I? And I have to have integrity. My life has to match my lips in humility. I have to be willing to confess and apologize when I mess up. And so hypocrisy is still a huge temptation today. Y'all are about to go back to school, the ones that I said under 25, the young people. And here's what's going to be the temptation for you to do. Live hypocritically. To fit in at, at school. And act one way here at church on Sunday and act another way there five days a week. But that temptation is there for every one of us. I know people, they get around a certain group of people and you would never know they were a Christian. Or they get around a certain group of people and they act way more spiritual than they really are. Alright, the second piece of good heavenly parenting that Jesus provides His disciples in us now with is to fear God, not humans. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 4. I tell you, my friends... Is that not amazing? Do you know what you and I were? Do you know what Buffy Cook was before he knew Christ? An enemy of God. Jesus has taken me from an enemy of God to his friend. If that don't fire you up and have you ready to face Monday, nothing will. 
So as friends, Jesus again, He's not here just to beat us down and to be a cosmic killjoy. He's here to prepare us. And His people need to be ready for death, don't we? But that is a topic we do not like. Woody Allen said, I know I'm going to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that's Christian and non-Christian alike. It's the number one fear I see in my office. People say, well, am I going to die? And I say, well, yeah, one day. But I hope it ain't in the next 24 hours on my watch. Ultimately, it ain't up to me. It's up to the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so we have this whole business of risk management. Every year I have to take a little test and read a book for two hours and then I get 10% off of my malpractice insurance. Why? So that Buffy Cook can hopefully be at a minimal risk. Jesus did not live His life that way and He did not practice ministry that way. And you ought to shout hallelujah that He didn't say let me minimize the risk because if He did, He wouldn't have gone to the cross and you'd still be in your sins and I would be in my sins. And so He teaches us two things to have a proper fear and a secure fear. Look first at proper fear, verse 4. And five, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed his authority to cast into hell. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when Jesus says, hey, don't fear about those people that can kill you, that's what you're talking about, Willis. What do you mean, don't fear people going to kill me, Jesus? We were talking this week at the office and I said the two worst ways I could think to die would be to drown and to burn to death. And you know that there are many Christians that were burned to death and they sat there as they're being burned to death saying, what a glorious day that would be. How can you do that? Only through the power of Christ. And because you know that there's something more on the other side. Amen? And so Jesus says, why do you fear them? Their death is their ultimate achievement. The power stops right there. They can't do... They might kill your body, but they can't do anything to your soul. Amen? Amen. Your soul is already secure. You and I are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Who cares if they kill me? You can't do nothing to my soul. Not to mention this. Think about this. Romans 12.19 says, God will repay They'll get what's coming to them, as we would say. And their Scripture does teach that there are degrees of punishment and degrees of separation in hell. As we would say, there's a special place in hell for people like that that would kill a Christian. So let go and let God. Fear Him. Why? Jesus says because His authority extends beyond death. He says, fear Him who casts into hell. Now we don't like that especially in a culture that, as Vody Bauckham says, embraces a sissified, needy Jesus. Well, is Jesus love? Yes! Is He loving? Yes! Is He mercy and grace and merciful and gracious? Yes! Did He teach unambiguously about the reality of hell? Yes! Should you fear God's wrath against sin? Yes. Should you fear punishment of hell for your transgressions and iniquities? Yes, because you've offended a three-time holy God. And without His mercy, without His grace, Jesus says there's a big, massive, fiery furnace that is prepared for you, and the devil's going first, and then everybody after that that rejected Christ is going second. So you better have a proper fear. 
One uh, pastor said, the fear of God is rather out of fashion these days in the church. We much prefer to stress the love of God. But the fear of God is continually regarded in the Bible as a necessary ingredient in right living. If you're mixing up the bowl of your life, the recipe, one of the things that better be in there is a proper and secure fear of God. What does Solomon say? I chased after all this stuff and I tried to find pleasure in all this stuff. And he said, let me tell you young people, I'm old and I've done it all. And you know what it got me? Nothing. I told Marty yesterday, I said, I, we were watching this documentary on Kurt Cobain and they were just like, we don't know why he killed himself. I'll tell you why he killed himself. Because he had a Jesus-shaped hole in his heart that he tried to fill with everything but Jesus. Heroin, every drug you can imagine, you know, sex, rock and roll, popularity, and it didn't work, brothers and sisters. Solomon tried to fill that hole with everything, and at the end, you know what he said? Fear God and keep His commandments. That's how you live. And so we need some fear of God. We need the fear Moses had. He said, I can't even look at God. We need the fear Isaiah had that he saw God and he said, whoa, I'm undone. We need the fear that Polycarp had to sit there and be burned to death and sing hymns. We need the fear that the, reformers, the Scottish reformer John Knox had when they buried him. Somebody said, here lies a man who feared God so much he never feared the face of any man. So a proper fear and then a secure fear. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. So if the don't fear those that can kill you was a what you're talking about Willis moment, this is a he's a good, good father moment. Are we to have a proper fear of God? Yes, but it's a secure fear. I'm going to give you two reasons why. One is God's caring. Sparrows were small birds not for sacrifice but food for the poor. They were sold two for a penny or five for two pennies. In other words, hey, it's kind of like a bargain. You know, you go to, it's kind of like your Kroger thing. You can get, you know, four for this or you can get ten for ten. You want to throw in the extra money, we'll give you one extra sparrow for free. And Jesus says, that sparrow, at first, the penny he's talking about was one sixteenth of a, of a denarius. It would take the average worker 30 minutes to make that. That's nothing. Very inexpensive, right? Not to mention it was of no value. Why? Because they're throwing it in for free. It really didn't even cost you anything. Jesus says, even that one that seems so inexpensive and that really has no value, God doesn't forget that bird. And if God doesn't forget that bird, the bird that ain't made in the image of God, do you think He's going to take care of you made in the image of God? So many of us need to pray like the one man prayed in Mark and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? God cares for us, hallelujah. Thank you that He doesn't forget that sparrow and He doesn't forget me. Listen to Isaiah 49. and Put it in your margins. As Dr. Rogers would say, write this in your margin. And listen to Isaiah 49, 15 to 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Would any of you women forget your nursing child? That she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. Oh, listen to this verse. 
Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Amen. If I am written on God's palm, why do I fear or worry about anything? Amen. He cares for me. And Jesus says, not only that, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now, I doubt that there's a Dewey Decimal filing system in heaven of everybody's hair. And the angels are up there going, oh, she got another haircut. We got got to move her around or you know he's done got 10 years on his life and now we got to move him to the back I don't know but I guarantee you that if God were asked because he's all knowing he can bring up the exact number of hairs on Marty's head and the exact number of hairs on my head amen <laughs> and here's the thing we're not a soul number God doesn't just say well it's 50,203 on Buffy's head and just file that the or, uh, illustration of that is this. If you come to my office, to the filing clerk and the insurance clerk, you're a number. But you know what you are to Buffy Cook? You're known very intimately. And if my nurse says, hey, uh, Dr. Cook, uh, Dr. Such and Such from the emergency room is on line one, and he needs to speak to you about Amanda Heath, do I need to pull her chart? No, I don't need you to pull her chart because I know her like the back of my hand. That's what Jesus is saying. God knows us like the back of His hand. He knows everything about us. He cares about us. Why would we fear or worry? And then God's caring and then God's rewarding. Think about this. Do you think Jesus is going to protect us 100%? Y'all heard me say it before. Dr. Patterson in church history had a cartoon that he put up and it was a picture of the lions in the Roman uh, the Christians in the Roman Colosseum being thrown to the lions and the caption said this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. In other words, God might call Amir to make the ultimate sacrifice in Pakistan. Might he? He might would call me if I go to Africa one time to make the ultimate sacrifice to lose my life there. But God's rewarding is this, that he's got crowns laid up for those that are willing to be faithful to him. And one of those is the crown of life. That's the martyr's crown. And oh, how glorious it's going to be. I don't care how you got it. If it was that you lost your life or you won a soul to the Lord, to go up to those nail-scarred feet and bow at them and kiss them and humbly lay a crown at them. Amen. God's going to reward us even if He calls us to the ultimate sacrifice. So is a proper and a secure fear of the Lord an essential ingredient in your Christian walk? I pray that it is. The final and the third piece of good heavenly parenting Jesus provides is to confess Jesus and avoid blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. Now I know none of you have ever told your teen, check your attitude, have you? <laughs> Why does it matter? Because their attitude to you says what they believe about you. And so Jesus says our attitude to him is all important. In other words, check your attitude. And look at what he says in 8 and 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Notice he doesn't give any neutrality. Is there a third choice there? It's either acknowledge or deny. I've mentioned Polycarp, the bishop of, of Smyrna in A.D. 55. He was hauled before the Romans who insisted he deny Christ upon the pain of death and ultimately was burned at the stake. 
When the magistrate pressed him and said, Swear and I will release you, revile Christ. Listen to what Polycarp said. He said, 86 years I've been serving him and he's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Now very few of us are going to be called to repeat Polycarp's confession. So what does acknowledge look like fleshed out? Does it mean that I walked an aisle once, I filled out a commitment card, I said a prayer, that I got baptized, that I joined the church, that I acknowledged him one time? No, it's a lifetime and a lifestyle. Write those two words down. Lifetime and lifestyle. When somebody sees me and has interaction with me, they should not come away with the interaction going, I never knew he was a Christian. My nurse, hopefully y'all get to meet her. I've been inviting her. She's hopefully going to come soon to one of our worship services. But one of my patients, the first week she was there, he told me, he said, I can tell you, that girl loves Jesus. He said, you can't be around somebody like that and not know that they love Jesus. And so think about it then. They were going to be hauled before the Jewish people, before the Romans. What about us now? We're not really experiencing persecution in America. We say that we are, but what we're really experiencing is just pressure. But it's going to probably get worse, Amen. And so it's a lifetime and a lifestyle. So what does denial look like? Is it Peter, the one time that he messed up? Is it you missed a divine opportunity? Is it that you did it once? Again, it's a lifetime and a lifestyle of denying Christ. And so thinking about this leads Jesus to a sin that is so serious it can't be forgiven. Look at what he says in verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now there is all kinds of bad teaching in the church on this subject. The unpardonable sin. According to the Catholic Church, it's suicide. Now according to Scripture, I can't find a single verse that would support that. And preached a man that I, as best I can tell this side of eternity, was a Christian that committed suicide, and I told that family, that there is no unpardonable sin. Y'all need to know that first and foremost. I don't care what the Catholic Church teaches. I'm going with what the Bible teaches. But every pastor has heard this. I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. And so what Jesus says is that it's to blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Now we don't have time for this. It's five different interpretations there. It's a whole sermon in itself. If you want to read especially on that, go get a bunch of commentaries and read on it. But I'm going to give you basically the cliff note versions, which is it could be one of two things. It was a one-time sin that the Pharisees committed when Jesus exercised the demon and them saying, no, this wasn't the finger of God, it was the power of Satan. Or it is an all-time sin that can be committed in any century, which is this, that you have a final and fatal rejection of Jesus Christ. If you do not receive Jesus Christ before your last breath, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When Jesus says, something spoken against the Son of Man can be forgiven. The Jews rejected God the Father when they rejected John the Baptist, right? Then they rejected the Son when they had Him crucified. But those things could have been forgiven when they then, the fate was sealed, was when the Holy Spirit came and they said, and through Peter preaching and Paul preaching, they said, we're not listening to that. And that was a final and fatal rejection. It's the same thing with y'all. I spoke many blasphemies against God the Father and against God the Son before I was saved. But you know what? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those things are gone because Jesus forgave me of them. Because when the Holy Spirit came knocking on my heart, 
I listened. And I didn't reject. I received. Does that make sense? And a lot of times, if people are saying, well, I think I've committed unpardonable sin, just asking that question means you probably haven't, right? All right, the final thing, look at verse 11 and 12. He says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Jesus is saying, don't think of the Holy Spirit as something primarily or solely that you try not to blaspheme. Think of the Holy Spirit. The word there is paracleti. It means helper, counselor. If you want to read more on that, again, time's sake, I'm not going to, go home and read John 14 and John 16. Or get one of these two books that I would recommend. Forgotten God by Francis Chan, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit, or J.D. Greer, Jesus Continued, While the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. And so we need some reading on the Holy Spirit because we do neglect Him. Amen? And so what this, these verses have been used for, unfortunately, in the church is laziness. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, when I get up to preach or I get up to teach Sunday school, I don't even prepare or I don't do this. I just, you know, I don't have notes or anything like that. I just wait on what the Holy Spirit is going to show me. Now, to some degree, that's true. There's times in which I say things I don't even know where it came from. What in my notes, you know where it came from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Amen? But as Dr. MacArthur says, these verses are not meant to be used for laziness in ministry. Because 2 Timothy 2.15 says, You show yourself to be one that is rightly approved, that has rightly divided the Word of God. Right? And 1 Peter 3.15 says what? Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. How are you going to do that? Study. This is for times of persecution in which no preparation could be had. Does that make sense? So is a regular open public confession of the Lord Jesus Christ evident in your life. Would people be surprised to find out you're a Christian? I hope not. Alright, in closing. A man was coming out of church one day and the preacher was standing at the door as always to shake hands and he grabbed the man by the hand and he pulled him aside and he said, Sir, he said, we need you to join the army of the Lord. And the man said, well, I'm already in the army of the Lord, Pastor. And he said, well, how come I don't see except at Christmas and Easter? And he whispered back, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> Which begs the question, are pressure and popularity keeping you in the secret service? You ever heard the expression, if you can't stand the heat, do you understand, brothers and sisters, as true disciples of Christ, there ain't no getting out of the kitchen? I know Amy don't like that English, but that is good southern talk. There ain't no getting out of the kitchen. Amen? Amen. The heat may turn up, and it's probably going to turn up more and more and more in this country on you and I as Christians. But God is a God who is there and an ever-present help in time of trouble. And He will see us through it. Popularity. Think about our culture from a social media standpoint. Well, man, I got 10,000 Facebook friends and I got 100 million Twitter followers. 
why do we need the accolades of any man if we would actually read the Bible and it say that we've been justified, we've been adopted, we have been saved, we have already been glorified. Why do I give a hill of beans what any man says about me when Jesus Christ says that about me? So brothers and sisters, let's come out of the secret service. Let's freely and publicly confess Christ. Let's fear God, not humans. And let's avoid hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word and this time to gather together. And Lord, it has just been such a great day to be in the house of the Lord. To come and to just worship you, Father, in the spirit that we did through the song. And Father, then to be able to worship you in the spirit of truth, Father, through your holy word. And I pray you would just convict it upon us, our, uh, each and every one here today. If any decision need to be made for you, Father, that you would bring us to do that now. I pray especially, Father, for anyone that's here today that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that this would be the time in which the old sinner would come home to Jesus. And Father, we will surely give you the honor and the glory and the praise for that because we know that there will be a party to break out amongst the angels in heaven over one sinner who would repent. We pray all this now in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So prayerfully this morning, I've convinced us that hypocrisy and Failure to have a proper and secure fear of the Lord and an unwillingness to openly and publicly confess Christ are serious obstacles to our Christian walk on a daily basis. And let me tell you when else those three things are going to pose a serious obstacle. On the day of judgment. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful, some translations say a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're here this morning, I don't care if you're saved and you've been saved since 1922 or you've been saved since 2002 or you ain't saved at all. Are you, am I, ready to stand before a three-time holy God and give an account of our lives? Hypocrisy. Romans 2 teaches that God ain't fooled by religious folks. He knows so does your life match your lips? Is there evidence that true transformation has taken place in your life? If not, you need to come get saved this morning. Confession. Romans 10 teaches us you must confess. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. If you've never publicly confessed the Lord, need to come and do that today. If you know Him as Savior, but you've never been baptized, you need to come and submit yourself for baptism and then fear. Romans 8.1 teaches us that anyone who truly knows Christ, they don't have to live hypocritically, they don't have to deny Christ, they have nothing to fear. You know why? Because there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. So are you ready to stand before a three-time holy God this morning and give a personal account? So if it's to come for salvation or it's come uh, to rededicate your life or for baptism or just something that was said this morning that you want to come to the altar as we stand and sing. Don't turn a deaf ear to the Lord's Spirit this morning. Let's stand. Turn to page 320. Oh soul are you weary and troubled Oh light in the darkness you see
Glory. 